Welcome, my name is Tanya. Welcome to 12 Elements Yoga and Wellbeing Podcast, Mind the Gap. Bridging the gap between life and your mat. Welcome to 12 Elements Yoga and Wellbeing Podcast, Mind the Gap. Today I'm super excited. I have the beautiful Crystal, who was a student of mine at the Yoga Room. Welcome, Crystal. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you. So let's get into it and discover a little bit more about you. So where did you grow up? So I was born and brought up in Mumbai, which Mm -hmm. was then known as Bombay in India. And I was there for 17 years before I moved. Big move from Bombay to Belgium. Well, actually to Canada first. So I went to Toronto to study. I'd always wanted to go abroad. My Mm -hmm. dad is a sailor before he retired and I inherited his wandering genes <laughs> and for as long as I can remember I used to think to myself I want to leave I want to leave I want mm-hmm. to explore so I ended up studying in Canada for 12 years wow and then it was work that brought me to Belgium which is where I've been wow. for six years now okay same with me but in a different way um so do you come from a religious or spiritual background and how was that growing up Yes. So, yes to both questions, Mm -hmm. um, even though they're not necessarily the same thing. So, my family is actually deeply religious, very Uh devout Catholics. Really? Yes. Um, So, my last name is De Silva, which is Portuguese, and it's because Goa, which is where my family is from originally, used to be a Portuguese colony up until 1962. Oh, And Christianity was brought to India um, by, I believe, St. Anthony. I hope I'm not butchering this. But regardless, so there is a proportion of the population Mm -hmm. that is Christian. And then a subset of that, um, that is Catholic. And so my family is Roman Catholic. So I was raised very devout. I went to a Catholic school. Really? I was extremely active in the church. And I enjoyed the community aspect Mm -hmm. of religion. Yeah. I enjoyed the activities. Um... I enjoyed the challenge, I enjoyed the community, but I was conflicted because I did not enjoy the exclusion. My best friends were Hindu, India is predominantly Hindu, and even as a young child, I was very analytical and questioning Mm -hmm. and disbelieving of many things. So I was conflicted with things I would hear in church and with things that I thought to be true Mm -hmm. um so an example of this is you know in one of the commandments in the catholic faith is thou shall not have other gods before me yes so people were heavily discouraged from having hindu statues and some priests would go so far as to say there are demons in these statues and as i was brought up like that as well as a child i thought that is so insulting (laughs) my best friends are hindu yeah how dare they say this yeah instinctively something didn't quite click Mm -hmm. of course I was raised you know praying rosaries in two different languages and I enjoyed being an altar server and being in the choir and being secretary of the Legion of Mary and you know the positives of that were the sense of responsibility Mm -hmm. the discipline the moral compass and the downside was again this conflict between my experience of divinity Mm -hmm. and the manner in which it was taught to me. I didn't feel like God was in a church per se or had a masculine or feminine identity. I Mm -hmm. felt like God was everywhere. And I sensed divinity in in dance and eventually in yoga when I encountered yoga. 
And so I was convinced too that being in a church didn't in any way mean for me at least a connection with the divine. So it was a bit difficult sometimes. <laughs> My mother is very religious, so there were some arguments around the subject of going to church and so on and so forth. So I, yes, I was raised religious, but I don't practice anymore. And how did that, uh, how, when did you kind of stop going to church? Yeah, so it's a very good question. Um, frankly, a lot of it was logistics. Mm -hmm. So I did continue going to church in Toronto because I oh, really? was part of a movement for unity called the Focalare, which is all about unity okay. and is rather inclusive in their philosophy. They uh -huh. sound a bit like a cult, but they're not. <laughs> they are genuinely nice people all over the world mm -hmm. that are called to a vocation um, to spread unity in mm -hmm. very practical ways. So these are people that are trained in Italy and that go and live in different places all over the world wow. and form communities. And they live and work in these places. And um, they're lay people, so mm -hmm. they're not religious necessarily, but they take the same vows as mm -hmm. nuns and priests might do. And so I met some of them wow. in India and I was fascinated and I was thinking, why would people from Italy and, you know, Australia and Philippines choose to come here? Yeah. And live here and live as though they live amongst people in their own hometown. Yeah. So I was very struck by that. So I met women in uh, Toronto, students really like me, and lived with them wow. for the most part of university. So I had a spoiled experience as an international student. Wow. I had sisters rather than roommates. Wow. Um, two from Japan, one from Korea, one half Hungarian, half Serbian, and we lived like family. So we prayed together, we ate together, we went to church together. And I was... That's um, a very unique experience. Yes. And so that's Amazing. why when people say you were so brave, you know, going to Canada at the age of 17, I think I've just been so fortunate mm. to always have community, mm -hmm. uplifting, supportive, authentically loving community around me that I've had to do very little by way of bravery. That's so, really incredible. You know, to answer your question... Um, I didn't really stop going to church until I was doing my master's okay. in Kingston in a different town in Canada from Toronto. And even then I would still go to church because I liked the quiet. Mm -hmm. I liked the music and I liked that sense of community. Yeah. Um, and in Belgium, I haven't largely because of my schedule. Now my days and nights are so packed with activity that I mostly <laughs> sleep through Sunday afternoon. <laughs> I'll make it to mass, but you know, um, my my connection with the divine in, in the way that I experience mm. it, in the way that I think I'm forced to experience it is everywhere. Yeah. And so I if agree. I ever go to church it's for nostalgic reasons. Yeah. You know, just to experience the beauty that these yeah. buildings have. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very interesting. Um when did you first come across yoga? So naturally growing up in India, yoga mm. was everywhere, everywhere in that it was talked about. I'd never had any personal exposure to it. If anything, I was discouraged. But yes, it's like, was it seen as non-Christian? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Because anything with Hindu roots, classical Indian art mm. forms are among them, were heavily discouraged. It's by kind the of church. part of your culture that you were not able to explore in some way. Yes. So being Christian in India is an interesting experience because you are by default Westernized to some extent. Yeah. You have a Western religion. 
the clothing is different. People wear skirts and blouses more than they wear saris. Not everywhere. Yeah. English tends to be spoken more often. So my first language is actually English. Um, and so you're not exposed to your own culture. Yeah. I grew up with Elvis Presley and Hallmark and HBO. I never would have and imagined British that. British <laughs> comedy sitcoms. So <laughs> my exposure to traditional Indian culture was through friends and through my own interest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't practice yoga growing up because I had no notion of what it really was yeah. beyond what I saw. And there's not much that you see beyond what is commercially showcased. Also because I went to a Catholic school. So yoga was definitely not on the curriculum. Assembly prayers were. And then in terms of activities, same thing. It's just yoga was, no, my, I, I learned how to play keyboard so I could play in the church choir. I did sports. I did karate. And um, my first encounter with yoga was in Canada. Wow. It was in 2011 in the middle of a ferociously cold Toronto winter. I get, how cold does it get there? Oh, my God. Like, I'm Australian, so I'm like, uh-huh, but really, Mine I have no 30, idea. 30, 35 degrees with Ooh. the wind chill. Cold enough that you don't want to be outside for more than 30 seconds at a time. Wow. So I was um, training for a salsa competition, my first and only one. Mm-hmm. It was a challenge. It was the amateur division. But regardless, I was training, and it was my first time wearing heels. Okay. I'd never worn heels. I don't wear them outside of dance. And so I had back pain. Uh, and I was a gym rat. Mm-hmm. I had insomnia my whole life, so I have to be exhausted to mm-hmm. fall asleep. And also anxiety, and the two go hand in hand. I have insomnia <laughs> because I'm anxious. Yeah. So I was a gym rat, and I was having back pain. And the physiotherapist had said, look, you can't wear heels and keep running on the treadmill. You, you have to stop one or the other. I said, no, I have to work out to sleep. And he said, well, why don't you try yoga for a workout? Then I said, the stupidest thing you could possibly say, yoga is not a workout. (laughs) Not knowing what yoga encompasses. Mm. He said, try hot yoga. And I thought, he knew. (laughs) I signed up for 30 days and I was a broke PhD student. So those 30 days had to be maximized. It was one of those discovery paths-like things. And it was when there was just the 90-minute practice, very regimented, exactly the same dialogue, taught exactly the same way, under exactly the same conditions, for exactly the same length of time. And it was in a studio where practitioners were really disciplined and really dedicated because it just taught yoga. And I was amazed Mm. and overwhelmed. And my life changed. Yeah. To the extent that there's a pre-hot yoga crystal and a post-hot yoga crystal. Yeah. And the person after hot yoga is one I sometimes don't recognize compared to who I used to be before. So those 30 days changed me dramatically. To start with, I lost weight, which I was not expecting or necessarily looking for. I used to have acne because I eat a lot of fried food. No surprise. <laughs> I eat whatever I like, whenever I like. So my diet is... A Your skin disaster. is so beautiful, though. I'm oh like, like, hot yoga, hot yoga. <laughs> Seriously. So that disappeared, and I just felt immensely peaceful, mm. even if it was for as long as two minutes after yeah. class. And and like many, you know, beginners, I couldn't do the whole class. Yeah. I, just, I did the breathing exercise, and then I sat down thinking, are these people even human? <laughs> and, you know, during Supta Vajrasana, when you... 
um, going to seated uh, warrior, I thought, how are they doing this? They have to be double jointed. <laughs> you know, so I was also very inflexible. I couldn't touch my toes. And I wasn't looking for flexibility, yeah. but I felt, I felt bonds break within my yeah. body during those 30 days. And I thought, I can't stop this. Yeah. So I signed up as an energy exchange practitioner because I couldn't afford to pay the monthly subscription, yeah, even ten dollars. Expensive back in those days, the uh, the membership fee wasn't cheap. I remember. So that's that's how I started, and I haven't stopped since. That's amazing. I love that so much, and I can resonate and understand completely. Before I began hot yoga to how I am now completely has changed my life as well. So yeah, I think it has for so many people. Um, so what has your profession been and for the last 10 years and has it changed? Do you think in regards to having a solid yoga practice, has yoga kind of changed your direction that you've taken in your career path? Not necessarily, but it certainly changed the attitude, mm. mindset, and the energy I bring to my work. And I think this would hold well said. regardless of what I was doing. So I've always wanted to be a scientist, um, a geneticist to be precise, because I read about a cancer survival when I was 12 and I wanted to do cancer research. Wow. So over the last 10 years, I've actually spent some of that finishing a PhD in cancer research, which was a very, very distressing and traumatic experience like most grad students. Yeah. I didn't have a salary for the last year, year and a half of my degree. I was staying with friends in their basement because I wow. couldn't even make rent, living off of ramen and Chinese buns. <laughs> and then, of course, I, I worked as a teacher, oddly, really? in a private high school in Canada because I was uh, able to teach French and biology, and that's not mm -hmm. a combination they came across frequently. So I learned French in India when I was 17. I was obsessed with the language. Wow. Continued to study it in Toronto. And... Uh, so that was my job while I was trying to find my real job. And I knew that I did not want to continue in academia. I'd seen the dark side of science, or let's say the, the administrative political side of science mm. that didn't appeal to me. And scientists just seemed so very overworked and stressed out. Mm -hmm. So I looked at industry, academia, uh, academia's alternative. And I just, you know, widened the net for what I might do. And I ended up finding a job in medical device safety as okay. a biocompatibility um, associate. So I started off as a research associate and eventually grew to be a research scientist. So my job is basically ensuring the biological safety of medical devices, especially those that are used in the intensive care unit. Okay. When you're treated with devices, you're exposed to things from the device that could enter your body and cause harm. Okay. And so I'm responsible for developing strategies uh -huh. to test these devices to ensure right. they're safe for use. Interesting. That's what I've been doing for the last six years and actually what brought me to Belgium. Wow. I am completely blown away and amazed, particularly for the fact that when you were 12, you were reading about cancer. When I was 12, I was making my own clothes for my Barbie dolls. Oh, no, it was a Reader's Digest story. I was reading the Reader's Digest. I, I was obsessed with um, testimonials in the Reader's Digest. I really love to read like people's stories. It's amazing. Yeah. So uh, when was your first or did you have, and I feel like 
again, your response is going to be more profound. But when did you have like an aha moment in yoga? And I feel like anyway, you already knew that yoga was just more than moving your body and doing the asana practice. Obviously, you have a lot more um, depth and knowledge about yoga and your own spiritual path awareness. But when for you, would you say that maybe on the mat one day, everything just kind of clicked together for you? So it was actually not so long ago, despite me having practiced for over a decade, just three years ago when I started integrating some of my classical Indian dance movements oh. in my hot yoga practice. It grounded me in a way that I'd never experienced. And it was, for me, the first class where I was able to breathe without sound. And, and I could experience my breath in a different way. I had this sense of being out of body mm -hmm. where my heart was hammering and I was struggling to keep my balance. And all of those things that had been true mm. the class before were still true. But it was like I was able to leave my body mentally and watch myself. Wow. And not experience the struggle with such proximity. Mm -hmm. I was able to truly befriend and enjoy the discomfort that I was experiencing rather than fight it. Mm -hmm. And that was an aha moment. I'd heard teachers say, especially for the hot practice, mm. make friends with the heat. You've asked to be here. You want to come here. But that was the first time that I felt it, that I felt I'm suffering. I love it. It's amazing. <laughs> because I felt yeah. this intense calm in that discomfort. I could sense through the sweating, through the heartbeat, you know, the, the fast-paced heartbeat, through the burn in my muscles, that there was this grace mm -hmm. that was suffusing my circulation. Yeah. And it felt so wonderfully soothing mm. that the whole class was like a meditative experience despite right. it being so physical. I think the word grace is a beautiful one to bring up and not really associated with doing hot yoga. But I think when you find your comfort in your discomfort, I know the word surrender is used a lot and I really prefer and I like the word grace because it just embodies everything. And I think it's a, yeah, a beautiful explanation to, uh, to say, yeah, it's amazing. And I have to say your, your practice though is absolutely beautiful to see and you do move your body even though you're doing the Bikram poses exactly as they are set out to be the way that you move your body is more than just moving it like in a robotic form you can see that you're moving from a place of depth from a place of joy and it is literally like watching a dance and it is literally like watching poetry in motion and not, I haven't seen or encountered many people that can practice a 90-minute Bikram class like that. But you have a very few people that I've seen as a teacher watching a student practice as meditation in poetry in motion. Yeah. You're giving me more credit than I deserve. <laughs> you saw that at a 60-minute class. <laughs> Might change your opinion after 90. But I, I can't take credit for that because my body is a vessel that I don't, and I feel that in doing 
this classical Indian dance practice, which is called pranam, and it's a prayer. It's paying homage to what came before you in the art form, to the space you're dancing in, to the people that you're dancing for. Wow. And it ends with Namaskar. And my teacher, Joanna D'Souza, who is, um, you know, director of the company Emdo. This Dan- is in Belgium. In right? Toronto, in Canada, this is which is where I discovered mm-hmm. the dance, or actually started learning it. She introduced also the movement of Salam, which is the Islamic reading yeah. to honor the Islamic roots and wow. influence in the dance called Kathak. So when I started doing seated pranam, I felt very tangibly that I was inviting the divine mm-hmm. to practice with me and that there was a spiritual presence that accompanied my practice. So I was carried through the class by grace. I felt very much like the practice was made easier mm. in some way through no sheer will of my own mm-hmm. or not only through my own sheer will. And it wasn't just my willpower that was enabling me to hold a pose or to work from a place of good alignment. Mm-hmm. But it almost felt as though there was a spiritual a spiritual presence hanging out with me and saying, hey, you're cool, I'm here, I got you. And it was very much like dancing with this presence, being so aware of them. And that's why as soon as I enter the hot room, and I do that little pranam, I feel not dissimilar to when I did feel connected to the church mm-hmm. when I was too young to start questioning things mm. I didn't agree with. And I felt enveloped mm. by safety and, and not a superficial kind of safety. Like, you know, you have money or you have this or that, mm-hmm. but a sense of who you are, a sense of what your purpose is, a sense of what you're intended to do. And on this ephemeral time that you're here on earth. Because we think of ourselves as being eternal, really, mm. because we make plans. We think about retirement and we think about all kinds of things, buying property. And five years in a cancer hospital, because that's where my PhD was, was in the hospital. The uh-huh. research floor was integrated with the patient floors. Uh-huh. Taught me one thing. You could die anytime. Mm-hmm. And every moment that you've experienced is a moment lost. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that you make rash decisions for that reason, but it just gave me such a powerful perspective with regards to my own mortality that this connection to the divine, this connection to something that's so poorly understood, even by me and by people who claim to understand it, I would dare to say, felt so precious Mm. that those 60 minutes in that sweltering heat on the mat doing things that were so uncomfortable, felt so soothing, so comfortable, and so necessary mm. for me to continue to manage everything mm. outside of the studio. I can just hear people thinking, how the hell do I get that? <laughs> whether it be a 60-minute or whether it be a 90-minute practice. And I think... um the key is to keep practicing. <laughs> yes, and just be patient with yourself. Yeah. And it's okay to do less than to mm-hmm. do more. That's I, a very good point. I think a lot of people, particularly when they practice hot yoga, think that the mentality is to do more, go harder. Whereas actually it's teaching you the opposite, to slow down, do less, to breathe, to stop, to be present. And then you repeat, right? Because what yes. you repeat, you strengthen. Yes, 
It's repetition. Yeah, I love I love the practice. I think it gives so much more than just uh, the physicality. So practicing yoga, we've talked a lot about spiritually, which has been absolutely beautiful to bring into the conversation. Um, physically, I feel like you eat what you want. <laughs> when I want. You practice and you just have this amazing, beautiful body and obviously being a dancer. But what about emotionally speaking? How has it kind of change or touch you and what does it add to you on a daily day or day-to-day basis because you you are in a highly stressful job yes you have a very bubbly personality you're very chilled you know but what you do professionally is it must be uh, at some point in times either if not stressful frustrating or produce anxiety because you're a human being so how does the yoga incorporate that I think yoga repairs a lot of the damage my self-destructive mind will do. Mm. And that's right from childhood, really. So I grew up quite anxious and always dancing on the edge of depression. I don't know if you know the story, Anne of Green Gables. Yes. And there was, a, there was a line about her character. She was either riding very high or going very low, something along those lines. And I could yeah. so relate to that. And I would think, I'm either very happy or very sad, and mm-hmm. I don't have these in-betweens. Mm-hmm. And it's very much a neurochemical thing. Mm. So yes, it's emotional, but it's also physical. So what yoga did was manage that anxiety, mm. the intense physicality of the practice coupled with the spiritual experience of it, allowed for my body to restore itself to a harmonious state so that my hormones and neurotransmitters mm. could organize themselves in a state where I was likely to experience reality in a healthier way, mm-hmm. rather than fixate on all of the things that could possibly go wrong. Yeah. And when I was 19, I actually had anorexia. Really? And unlike you know the common perception, anorexia is not always about looking a certain way. If anything, you look awful yeah. when you're an anorexic. It's about control. Yes, I'd no, I agree with you. My organic chemistry midterm, and I was devastated. It didn't matter that more than half the class had failed, about 90% of the students. It didn't matter. I was just so deeply troubled by it that Mm -hmm. I had to control something Mm -hmm. because I couldn't control the outcome of Mm -hmm. my organic chemistry test, apparently. And so while I was preparing for what was going to be a notoriously difficult final exam, I also began to manage my calorie intake. And so since then, I've, of course, healed my relationship Mm -hmm. with body dysmorphia and anorexia. But the part of me that felt so uncomfortable with eating what I wanted, when I wanted, and not counting calories, began to sort of relax Mm. when I practiced yoga. Because yoga especially is a movement practice. Yes, it's physical. Yes, it's athletic. Yes, there is this element of wanting to be in shape. But hot yoga taught me, first and foremost, it's about the relationship your body has with your mind and the space around you. There were beautiful things I've heard in classes over the years where teachers have said, practice for the person next to you. Mm. If there's anything that kept me breathing calmly, it was that. Mm. I have to breathe quietly, not for me, but for the person Mm. next to me. I have to bring this calm, positive energy, not for me, but for the person next to me who's absorbing this. Yeah, And even though I'm such a scientific person, I'm also an energetic sponge mm-hmm. and I'm energy sensitive and I've always been that way and sensed it and gravitated towards people who nourish my energy mm-hmm. and don't drain it. Mm-hmm. So yoga just reinforced all of that and it just sharpened my senses with regards to what 
my body mm-hmm. and emotions intuitively knew. So my anxiety didn't disappear, but it did dissipate. Mm. And so it's also like medication. Mm. You have to have a sufficient dose. If I have a regular practice, I find that my anxiety is managed. It's kept at a low level. Yeah. There's always a hum, of course. And then I have these moments of elation, often after class, a really mm. sweaty class especially. And I feel this high, this yoga high mm-hmm. that many people experience. So it's helped me balance that. It's healed my relationship with my body mm-hmm. in a very profound way. Mm-hmm. I see my body as a vehicle for joy yeah. through all of these movement practices, through interactions with people. And and so I'm I'm a happier person for it. And that's mm-hmm. precisely also where yoga has improved and triggered immense professional development because I'm optimistic, I'm forward facing, mm-hmm. I'm joyful, I'm genuinely caring at work. Mm-hmm. And because I have this time and space on the mat disconnected from the mm. screen and the sheets and the PDF files, that I'm also able to think of creative solutions. Yeah, that that's I amazing, right? Yeah. In my office space. So mm. all of my best ideas with regards to my my work have come in a hot class. Yeah, I can I I say to my partner all of my best life decisions happen on a yoga mat in a 90-minute practice. Without overthinking, they arrive at the end because I've let go. It's yeah, yeah it's a beautiful analogy. Uh let's talk a bit about your classical dancing. Yes. Can you explain because a lot of people don't know exactly what it is. So yours originated beginning you started in Canada yes and now you do it in Belgium I know because I've seen you swirling around and dancing on some of your videos and Instagram but what exactly is it that you do yes so I actually discovered classical Indian dance also quite by accident Um, so this is why I'm deeply convinced that yoga and classical Indian dance found me Uh uh-huh and they were meant to find me I was already dancing salsa. I've wanted to dance my whole life. I watched River Dance actually, <laughs> and I was obsessed with really? it. Really obsessed with it. I would play the video and try to copy the steps and think I was doing it. I was obsessed with it. Obsessed with all kinds of dance. Mm-hmm. I would make my mother record the movies on DVDs. That's how uh-huh. old I am. And then I would rewatch them afterwards <laughs> repeatedly. And so I started learning salsa in in Toronto already. And I was in a relationship with a salsa dancer. And that ah. was my first intense love story. Mm-hmm. It was wow. a high school relationship that I didn't have in high school because I was too busy studying. <laughs> and so when we broke up, I was shattered mm. and had no understanding of how to deal with it. And I was living with the director of the performance team that I was part of. And so he said to me, Crystal, go do something else. You know, you can't yeah. keep keep at this. So I wanted to do something completely different and I'd always wanted to study classical Indian dance uh-huh. because it had been so discouraged back home mm. because of my religious background. That was precisely wanted to, what I wanted yeah. to do. And when I did a Google search, I came across my teacher's name, Joanna D'Souza and Kathak. And I was surprised to see a Caucasian woman with a Portuguese name sharing yeah. classical Indian dance. So yeah. I looked her up and I fell in love with her energy on screen. Uh-huh. And that same immediate adoration was reflected in class. She's a wonderful person, an artistic powerhouse, a trailblazer. And I fell in love with Kathak. So Kathak 
comes from the word kataka which means storyteller oh. and it's i believe the only classical indian dance form that's influenced by both hinduism and islam oh wow and ultimately the dance is all about storytelling through mm-hmm. gestures through movements but that's not all it is there's a percussive pure dance element mm-hmm. that's rather like flamenco so kathak is very similar to flamenco in that the feet are used as percussive instruments though we oh, dance barefoot right, okay. with a string of anklets mm-hmm. i mean a string of bells around and um we share the rhythmic complexity through the stomps wow you have fast spins you have delicate gestures with uh-huh. the hands the wrists the face um as part of the storytelling wow. as part of the dance so I couldn't leave Kathak after that one month just like wow. I couldn't stop doing hot yoga <laughs> after that one month of discovery. So I continued doing Kathak and salsa and when it came time to stop one for my PhD defense I stopped training salsa. Oh. So in Belgium I actually don't teach Kathak um nor was I able to take class because there isn't really a classical Indian dancer here that I know but during the lockdown mm-hmm. my teacher um in Canada started online classes. Oh wow. So I started following online classes naturally with her and then almost 2 years ago she asked if I would teach a beginner series. Wow. And I jumped at the idea and it was a wild experience because my class had to be at midnight given the 6 <laughs> hour time difference. So for the past almost 2 years now I've been teaching beginners online from Belgium or elsewhere depending on at where midnight. I am. And I've been following her advanced classes also online though those are at 9 p.m. so more forgiving <laughs> hour and i love it because it's kept me in constant touch mm-hmm. with the art form more so than i was doing on my own mm-hmm. where i would try to do demos to hold myself accountable to then practice i still do demos i do free sharings i love kathak i mm-hmm. i love talking about it talk to me for 5 minutes and kathak will be <laughs> in, you know introduced in the conversation so that's that's how i started and it's been 11 years since wow incredible what an incredible journey and both you know i would not have put kata dancing and brikram yoga together but obviously the doctor and you to do the yoga to help you be able to fix your back injuries obviously that's helped you dancing and really both of them i guess there are more similarities than non similarities um, for both of those two modalities i would say if you go way way back for yoga to be a spiritual practice classical indian dance forms to also be a kind of spiritual practice mm. certainly interlinked with spirituality the roots mm. are enmeshed mm. you can't dissect one from the other so my teacher's guru actually um started something called kathak yoga ah. which had nothing to do with the asanas per mm-hmm. se in terms yeah. of yoga postures but what he did was incredibly innovative in that he had his dancers recite the rhythmic cycle or recite the dance sounds so what i failed to mention earlier is that every move in kathak has a sound oh really that doesn't necessarily carry meaning it may be the sound of the drum it may be a sound of a bird or something uh-huh. but it's a sound and so you can sing and recite entire oh, wow. pieces and you have to learn how to recite them as you dance wow. so it's incredibly complex it's not mm. just about the movement So and this is all danced against a rhythmic cycle of certain beats that repeats itself like wow. a monotone. So he would have people recite the rhythmic cycle but dance complicated rhythms in threes and fives and sevens wow. or they would recite the rhythms but then keep the rhythmic cycle 
in their feet or on an instrument. So what that has to, you know, requires then is that your mind is running two intensely difficult tasks in parallel. Yeah. And so you have to manage your mind and concentrate your focus to the extent that your brain can then handle mm-hmm. all of this processing simultaneously. And it's yoga because it forces the mind-body mm-hmm. connection. Through breath? Do you think breath is like the most... Through breath, through awareness. Mm. Through breath, through awareness of the breath, and through internalization of certain things. You have to internalize one over the other. Mm-hmm. And I see this in hot yoga, mm-hmm. where the calming down of my breath after enough practice has been internalized. I'm not even aware that I'm thermoregulating as mm-hmm. I'm doing it. I'm not aware that I'm calming my heart rate down, that I'm breathing slower. I become aware of it when I try to do it even more. And then I think, oh, I'm already doing this. <laughs> and so Kathak Yoga is also a kind of mind-body connections, mind-body connection awareness exercise. And just like anything, doing one in one area of your life naturally carries over elsewhere of course so believe it or not i used to be super shy i'm not dance force that (laughs) sometimes it comes out but being this extroverted person Mm -hmm. in a dance class when i started teaching dance carries over now to a professional setting Mm. where i'm extroverted as i present yeah i don't worry about how i'm seen yeah i come from a place of share not Mm -hmm. show yeah and so the experience of hot yoga draws on what I do in a katha class where I'm paying so much attention to keeping time, to keeping rhythm, and it's difficult and I'm hanging on to the beat, I'm hanging on to the melody. The other interesting thing is when I was in India on vacation and I would practice the Bikram series on a hot summer afternoon, I would use the taker, which is a metronome, and I can play it for you after if you like, to keep time. I didn't want ah. a clock. So I just would listen to the beat of 16 and just use multiples of that for a minute. You know, and I'd go a little bit over. So I'd use the 16 beats and you can time it so that mm-hmm. it plays at 60 beats per minute. Oh, so wow. that one beat is a second. And it was soothing. So for me, there's always been a link mm-hmm. between any Indian art form, whether mm-hmm. it's vocal, musical, or dance related mm-hmm. and yoga because to practice any of those art forms is to practice yoga mm-hmm. so the the connection or the disconnection mm-hmm. has obviously been in the commercialization of yoga which is not a bad thing necessarily yeah. because it makes it accessible yeah but when you go way back and you see yoga as a spiritual practice and you recognize that these art forms are all also inherently spiritual you find that the source may be one and the same Mm. or at least centered in the same place. So my experience of them, what I feel in a kata class and it not being so very different from what I feel in a hot yoga class Mm. is not surprising. We have to come and see you dance. (laughs) I really want to see, yeah, the whole performance. It sounds absolutely incredible. Amazing. Um, It's amazing your whole journey because... You have so much knowledge. You are so passionate. And I was just thinking, it's amazing. I would not have thought on knowing that you had a Catholic background. And like, 
you know, maybe because you had a Catholic background, now you have so much energy and passion and joy for the classic form of dancing. Maybe you wouldn't have had that so much if you were doing that when you were younger. Maybe you would have given it up and gone through other modalities or something else so it's like incredible this circle that you've come to and that you're sharing now i think it's amazing i love it words of wisdom to wrap up what would you say evil words or a thought or something to share that has been something that has helped you in moments which we all have um of doubt or anxiety or self-doubt or whatever particularly you know during COVID and after COVID people are still you know still trying to get back on track and then going back to who they were but you can't go back you only go forwards what words of wisdom do you have that you've learned along the way come back to your why Mm. and your why for life as a whole Mm -hmm. so about five years ago I started this manifestation practice I was seeing a lot of manifestation ads on Facebook, and it annoyed me. I thought, what is this? (laughs) Um, But at the same time, though, something did click, and that was that you have nothing to lose by chasing positivity, absolutely Mm -hmm. nothing. And it clicked scientifically that emotions are a physical experience, Mm -hmm. that to nurture and promote gratitude, to nurture and promote contentment can only work in your favor. Mm Mm-hmm. So I would write down what I wanted. And they were, there were fears. There were fears around security. I'm not a Belgian resident, and mm-hmm. so there's a fear around status, for example. Mm-hmm. And I would write down manifestations, what I would want, in a very pragmatic way, things mm-hmm. that felt real and achievable. But I also wrote down, I am here to love. I'm here to learn. I am here to live with joy and purpose. Mm-hmm. I am here to create nurturing and loving relationships among people. Mm. And that why is the background against everything I do Mm -hmm. to the extent that I can manage. Teaching dance for me is not just about training my body and training dancers' body. It's about empowering people. It's about people feeling good about themselves. Even at work, I'm a manager and I love teaching. I love empowering people. I love making them feel good about themselves, feeling accomplished. And in all of my activities... That why has a presence. Mm-hmm. So when things get hard, I go back to that why just to remind myself that this is why you're here. Mm-hmm. And you're not, you're not here to be a martyr, to do something, mm-hmm. you know, to do good. Yeah. I think it sounds silly. No, I'm here to be good yeah. and experience good. And it's okay to say that because yeah. it's when you feel good and you experience good that you do good. Yes. So I, I find that that really helps, you know. So, for example, in a hot yoga class, you're suffering. Why am I here? <laughs> Why am I here? Why did I sign up? Why did I get up at midnight to, like, log on <laughs> and sign up for class? It's because I want to. Mm-hmm. I want to be here to detox or to feel the burn or, in, in my case, to really experience my breath in a very, very soothing way mm. and to be aware of it. And that carries over everywhere when things get hard at work and I look at my to-do list and think I need to clone myself. (laughs) I have a little sign in front of my PC Mm -hmm. that reads, I love my job, please don't hate me. (laughs) And I read that because I remind myself, I'm here because I love this. I'm here because I love this and I choose to love this. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing. I don't just love this. 
because it was given to me. Love mm-hmm. is both a noun and a verb. It starts off as a noun and then it's your responsibility to carry forward that feeling. Mm-hmm. If you hope to be happy. I yeah. Think. So come back to your why and be patient. Mm. And there's this beautiful saying in the vocabulary, start again, start again, start That's again. Start again. There's you can start again as many times as you like. Yeah. So if you're in a hot class and you need to sit down, sit down. Lie down. Yeah. You can get up any time. There's yeah. no your biggest pressure point is you. Exactly. You are your biggest more. <laughs> I'll say that in French, exactly in English. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Crystal. You're Thank welcome. you for having the time to come here. And to share your knowledge and your love of dancing and hot yoga. Completely blown away by our conversation today. And I cannot wait to share it. And thank you so much. You're most welcome. Thank it you. was a pleasure. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you.